0: tell you about Rachel. She's 21, just graduated college, summa cum laude. She's funny, a bit too studious according to her boyfriend, and she tells everyone she knows that they need to be trained in CPR. Oh, and she'll take a trip to France one day, and she'll tell stories about it for the rest of her life. This party, it's meant to celebrate her first real job. It's a entry-level position, but it does provide a steady income. It also provides a retirement plan and even comes with dental. Seems that she's well on her way. What nobody here today could possibly know is that she will become department manager in just six months. She'll start running marathons. She will get married and become a mom. She'll walk her friend Teresa through a chronic illness. And after all that, become CEO of the company. You see, her family and friends are celebrating what is with no idea of what is to come. It's very similar for Israel on that first Palm Sunday. You see, they all line the streets, crowds fighting for the best view of the king, who would be even greater than King David himself. They'd prayed so long. For generations they prayed. And here he was. And so, that's why they grabbed their palm branches, right? And they celebrated him because in their minds, he was going to free them from Rome. And So they all shouted the same thing. Hosanna! Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They celebrated what they knew about Jesus, that he was a good teacher, that he was a miracle healer, that he was a divine prophet. But what they couldn't begin to imagine, as he rode into town that day, he would be the fulfillment of prophecy, would bring healing for sin. He would show the world what love truly is. They had no idea that the one riding through town was the king of kings all over the world. The past kings, the present kings, the kings to come, king of all kings. Paul said it so well in Ephesians 3, verses 20 and 21, when he said, To him who is able to do more than we could ever hope for or imagine, to him be the glory through all generations forever and ever. And so, just like them, we cannot imagine what is to come, but as we join in the chorus of their voices, celebrating what Jesus has done, may we also celebrate the God, the Savior, the King of all kings, who can do more than we can ever imagine.
1: large crowds spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Let's stand together and sing our Hosannas. we us you cause when we see you, we find strength to face today. You. Yeah.
2: It's so good to see you and thank you to our students for helping us out today. We appreciate that uh, so very much as we uh, are celebrating Palm Sunday today, uh, the beginning of Holy Week for uh, all the different activities that take place. Uh, I want to remind you that this uh, coming Friday evening at 7 p.m. we will have our Good Friday service together Uh, We'll be observing communion together and we'll be remembering uh, the cost that Jesus was willing to pay for our sin. And uh, so I hope you'll be here for that. I hope that you picked up a bulletin on the way in. All of these are very important. Make sure you read uh, each of these announcements. Uh, We will not be having an adult Bible study this Wednesday night but we will be having our children and our youth. So those still will be going on. And and the reason for the adult thing is because some of us that are in the adults uh, are part of the Good Friday service and we're doing a rehearsal uh, on Wednesday night. So we're not going to be able to have the Bible study. But uh, that's the only change in our schedule there. Now next Sunday, Easter Sunday, uh, 7.30 a.m., will be our resurrection celebration, and weather permitting, we will be outside over here on the side of, uh, in the parking lot over by the cemetery. So weather permitting, that's where we're going to be. If for any reason uh, it decides that it wants to rain on us, we'll be in the sanctuary for that 7.30 a.m. service. And then we have uh, a continental breakfast that we're going to offer anyone that wants to participate That's from 7.45 until 8.45. Uh, You're welcome to come, enjoy uh, some light breakfast, some coffee, some juice, and enjoy the fellowship with uh, others around you. And then at 8.45, we'll have our connect groups. So uh, keep those changes in mind. Then at 10 a.m., we will have our worship service here in the sanctuary. So uh, I, that's the one Sunday out of the year that we normally change our, our schedule altogether. So want to make sure that you're aware of those changes. Next Sunday, 10 o'clock, being our worship service. Let's take just a moment to pray together. And again, I hope that you'll uh, take a moment to uh, make yourself very uh, familiar with all of the announcements in the bulletin. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, thank you again for so much for this opportunity to be in this house of worship On this Lord's Day, we know, Lord, that uh, we are here because you have gathered us to this place. Lord, there's a lot of different things that may have brought us through the doors today, but the truth of the matter is we have an appointment with you today. And you knew we were going to be here. You knew everything that was going to be taking place today. So, Lord, you chose in your sovereignty to gather us in this house of worship on this Lord's Day at this time so lord we can't say that whatever goes on today is for someone else by the virtue of our just our presence we know it's for us so give us a heart to hear what you have to say give us a heart that's open toward heaven that lord as we worship you as we proclaim your goodness and your glory that as we worship you Lord that you minister to every heart in this place Lord there's some in this room that may be hurting today uh, life's just uh, a struggle right now and Lord today maybe they came into this place hurting but Lord they're looking for that healing that only you can give and how I pray that today Lord as they open their heart to you to receive what you have for us through the songs we sing in the Teaching, preaching of your word, the fellowship that Lord they will feel as you begin to heal that hurt in their life lord there's others in this room today as everything 's falling into place it 's a day of celebration, and I pray God that as they lift their praises to you and, and and thanksgiving for the good things that are happening in their life that Lord they will feel your pleasure upon their life as you as you receive that worship and as you can bring peace to their heart and their life today so lord whatever it may be in our life today that we need we know that we're here for the purpose of of that uh, of receiving that very thing so give us ears to hear what the spirit has to say give us a heart that is open is our prayer in jesus holy name amen
3: A hundred years in big cities with a hundred skyscrapers and tiny towns with one stoplight on college campuses and Native American reservations and churches too many to count. Hundreds of thousands of men and women and boys and girls have made hundreds of thousands of life-changing decisions. Almost none of them knew her name. And yet, she was there. Annie Armstrong lived more than a hundred years ago. Only this one picture of her survives. History could have easily forgotten her. But Annie Armstrong is worth remembering. In the late 1800s, when most women had no voice, Annie was one of the first to speak up. First, for the urban poor in her hometown of Baltimore. And then, for Southern Baptist missionaries around the world who desperately needed support. It was for these people that she helped start the National Women's Missionary Union as its first executive leader. She gave women a platform in their local church, and in ways that they'd never done before. These women helped focus Southern Baptist attention on the hurting and the lost, and the missionaries trying to reach them. Annie wrote letters, 18,000 in just one year. And she traveled across America, encouraging missionaries and inspiring churches to pray, to give, and to act. She worked long hours, paid her own expenses, and refused to accept a salary. And in the darkest days of the Depression, right before she died, an offering was named after her. Today, the Annie Armstrong Easter offering helps missionaries in the U.S. and Canada start new churches and meet needs through Compassion Ministries. Over the years, Southern Baptists have given more than $1 billion to that offering, and 100% of it, every penny, has gone straight to the mission field. There's still work left to do. The need is bigger than ever, and that's why... Even though she lived more than a century ago, and even though only one picture of her survives, Annie Armstrong's influence lives on. Because today in North America, just as it's been from the beginning, anywhere a missionary is sent, every time a new church is born, anytime someone gives to her offering so that a lost person might be found, Annie is there.
2: who's supposed to pray there he is I thought you was in the nursery man I'm sorry i the I jumped up I jumped up because I thought you were in the nursery it's already on uh, no, you go for it man you go for it we I thought you try. were in the nursery we'll talk about this later uh, let's pray God thank you so much for this time that we get to gather together once again in your house we pray that as this uh, throughout this week Lord that You would just remind us uh, of what you were going through almost 2,000 years ago, uh, the week leading up to your death on the cross, and we also just pray, God, that you would be with us as a church as we're going through different seasons and changes, Lord, and God, we also just want to give you our tithes and offerings, and once again, just want to pray for Pastor Tommy as he brings your word. Help us to receive it. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you again for being here today, and it is Lottie Moon uh, Easter offering season. This is a, an offering that's kind of unique to uh, churches that are part of being Southern Baptist in that um, we give this offering specifically for North American missions, And every penny that you give to that offering goes to help uh, train, deploy, and sustain missionaries in North America. So uh, we'll be receiving that offering throughout the month of April. And I hope that you will pray about what the Lord would have you to give and uh, that you would give as the Lord guides you to do so. If you have your Bibles, will you turn with me to the book of Colossians chapter number 3. Colossians chapter number 3, and today we're going to be picking up in verse number 12 and reading down through verse number 17. We continue uh, this series called The Real Jesus. Uh, If you're looking for something eye-opening to watch on television, uh, I have become quite a documentary aficionado here (laughs) lately. Uh, there is one that uh, I think you would be interested in. Uh, it is uh, about uh, David Koresh and uh, the Branch Davidian, uh, all that went pl- took on there in Waco, Texas. And you'll, you'll get a picture of the fact that there are people in our culture today, even though that was several years ago, still today... There are people in our culture that are looking for a Jesus that fits their mold. They have a certain idea of what they think Jesus should be. And anyone that will come along and claim to fit that mold, they will follow them as their Jesus. In fact, I was, I was watching yet another one that's uh, on Netflix, if you want to watch it. It's called The Family, and it's about a, a very big religious organization that's supposedly secretive on C Street, as they call it, in Washington, D.C. And one of the reporters was talking about his, he infiltrated that group because he wanted, he's trying to learn about all the different, here's his words, Jesuses in the world. He's trying to learn about all the different Jesus in the world. Well, the truth of the matter is there may be many ideas of what, of what Jesus should be or who he is. But, but the truth is he is who the Bible says he is. And that is the one real, authentic, true Jesus who is God in the flesh, God incarnate. Now, if we're not careful and if we're not aware of who this real Jesus is, and if we're not learning from our scriptures who he is and, and, and what makes him who he is, then we are going to, be, we're going to be tempted to follow a false Jesus. And the world is filled with them. And so that's why this walk through Colossians has been vital for us. We need to understand who this real Jesus is and, and what he does for us. If I've encountered the real Jesus, then there should be something different about me than there are about those who are follow, following a false Jesus. In Colossians chapter 3 verse 12, We're kind of going to pick up where we left off last time when we were talking about the difference that Jesus makes. And and we're going to see, again, what kind of impact does he have on the lives of those who follow him. Look at verse number 12 in Colossians chapter 3. So, as to those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body to be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Let's pray. Lord, again, we thank you for the honor and privilege that is ours to be in this house of worship. We thank you for this week that we have entered into as we are recounting the the steps that you took there in that final week as you resolutely have turned your your heart, your mind toward the cross knowing that that is your your place of mission, your your place of service to god the father and lord we thank you for what this week means to us and lord i pray that as we go through this week that we too will turn our hearts and minds toward our service to the father the mission to which we've been called and we've been given and we know lord that that mission that calling is to let our light so shine before men that they see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. So, Lord, I pray in this time that we have together, may your word speak to our hearts. Confront us where we need to be confronted. Encourage us where we need to be encouraged. Strengthen strengthen us where we're weak. And I pray, Lord, that as your word is engrafted into our heart and mind today, that it will forever change us at the core of who we are. So guide us in our time together. It's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. As truly born-again believers, serving the Jesus of the Bible, God incarnate, God in the flesh, who came to dwell among us, who died for our sins, who was buried and rose again on the third day, if If we are truly serving the real Jesus of the Bible, it should make a difference, a marked difference in our daily lives. There should be something different about us than there are those who are around us. The lost world should be able to distinguish between a true believer and just a moral or good person. Now there's nothing wrong with being a good and or moral person, but there's but God created you for so much more than just to be a good moral person. He wants you to be a godly person. And there the world should be able to distinguish that difference. Paul's dedicated most if not all of chapter 3 to explaining to us the difference that a relationship with the real Jesus should make in our life. And he's he's trying to help us understand that if you truly are a follower of Jesus, these are some characteristics, These these are some marks of your life that should be present. Now now it's up to you and I to do the self-examination part, right? He's showing us what should be and, and what is supposed to be. Now it's your job and my job, if we claim to be followers of Jesus, to put our life up against God's Word and say, Now, does this describe me? In verses 12 through 17, Paul points to two very distinct areas where Jesus in us should be visible to those around us we said when we looked at this several weeks ago that one of those differences should be the pursuits that we have in our life we should be pursuing the things that edify and glorify and bring and, and bring the the kingdom of god to the forefront we we talked about our perspective on things but today I submitted. There's there's still some other differences that Paul's trying to show us should be made, and one of those differences is that it should make a difference in our actions. When we look at verses twelve, thirteen, and fourteen, I think it's very interesting to note that they very closely resemble the fruit of the Spirit. If you look at Galatians chapter five. Verse 22 and 23, here's the words that you're going to read there. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Now, that's the, that is the, the, the fruit, that is the product of, of the Holy Spirit living in the life of a believer. Now now when we take that 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 list of the fruit of the spirit and we bring it into Colossians chapter 3 and we hold it up against the verses that we just read we find that they 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 are mirroring each other. The life of Jesus being lived out through us will not only produce the fruit of the spirit in us but it will be reflected in how we live our life, it, it, it should make a difference. I, I want you to understand the, what, what Paul's trying to, to to get through to us: that that the knowing the real Jesus and being indwelt by the Holy Spirit and Him producing in us these results, this fruit that only He can produce, that it goes so much farther than just being a good person. That these these things become not just something we do, but it becomes who we are. It becomes who we are. When we we look at the the different ways we would describe the real Jesus, we would speak of him as a, a, a person who loved unconditionally. That's the fruit of the Spirit. We would say that he was a joyous person. I, I, I believe, and, and it's just my opinion that Jesus was, was, was not always, uh, not always the solemn person we make him out to be. I think he loved people and he loved being around people and it brought joy to his heart whenever he could minister to someone, and when he saw lives changed by the truth of the gospel, and he saw lives changed by the power of God's hand, I believe it brought joy to his heart. And the and the book of Philippians tells us that as he's going to the cross, it was for the joy set before him that he went to that cross. Not that he enjoyed the cross, but the joy that Jesus had was the fact that he knew that what he was about to accomplish was going to set the world free. He understood that what he was about to do, the suffering he was going to endure, the pain he was going to have to go through, was going to give you and give me an opportunity to know God personally. And that brings God joy. We read these fruits of the Spirit, patience, if there ever was a patient man on the planet, Jesus was it. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all of these things describe the person of Jesus because... He is God in the flesh. And so now when you and I, we we surrender our life to Him and, and the Spirit of God comes to live with inside of us, the Holy Spirit, He begins to produce these same characteristics in our life. Herein lies the difference between being a religious person or a moral person And living in a relationship with Jesus. You see while religious and moral people. They can do compassionate things. They can do kind and loving things. But only those who have a living relationship with Jesus. Can produce these actions from within their heart. They do it naturally. See here's the the problem you and I have. Our fallen nature that we're born with, our sinful nature that we are born with is narcissistic. We are born with a sinful, fallen, narcissistic nature where it's all about us. What makes me happy? What brings me joy? What makes me feel good about myself? How can I accomplish my goals? How can I further my career? How can I advance my standing? It's all about us. We're born with this fallen, broken, sinful, narcissistic nature. And so, yes, we can still do some good things and we can still do some moral things, but more times than not, when a person who doesn't have the the nature of Christ in them, doesn't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, when they do those things, more times than not, if you peel back the layers, there's an ulterior motive somewhere in there. They're giving something to get something. They're they're, they're playing the game. Jesus wants us to be so much more. He didn't come and die for us to make us a better person. He came to make us a new person. He came to 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 give us a new heart and to give us a a spirit of life and of hope within us instead of the dead narcissistic sinful spirit we were born with. He came to transform us and to make us into a new person. That's why G, excuse me. That's why Paul said in, in his letter to the in Second Corinthians, "If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation." The old things are passing away and the new things are coming. Well, how does that happen? Because Jesus in you begins to make you a new person. And now instead of just doing something to get something, now you do something because Jesus is doing something through you. Let me, let me simplify this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it on the shelf where I can get it, okay? Okay. Here it is. As born-again believers, we don't just do compassionate things. We do things compassionately. There's a difference. As born-again believers, we don't just do kind things. We'll do things with kindness. As born-again believers, we won't just do humble things but we'll do things with humility we won't just do things with love we'll do things lovingly. Therein lies the difference. I'm not just doing something to be doing something. Now I'm doing something because it's the character that Christ is building in me. He's changing me from the inside out. He's taken out the old callous, sinful, narcissistic heart and he's put in a a heart that beats for the, for the people of God and for the mission of God and for the kingdom of God and for the glory of God and it beats for, to make things better and not just me trying to get things better for myself. The real Jesus living you should make these kind of differences. Differences in our actions, folks. I am 100% convinced and and I hope that I'm not wrong and I pray I'm not wrong, but I can't help but think That I'm right, and that is that so much of the trouble that you experience in church life is because you have people who aren't truly saved trying to do religious things. Now that doesn't mean that every listen, every you know, you know, it's just like you you're in your marriage, you're you're always gonna have different perspectives and you're always gonna see things differently, and and that's okay. That's what makes you unique, and God created you just the way that you are. But what causes things to 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 fester and boil till it it literally blows up and starts to kill the churches and drive people away from Christ, It, it happens because there's people who don't know Jesus who are trying to do Christian things without being a Christian if we're truly saved by grace and we know the real Jesus it should change our actions and and it should should help us to see that that it's not about what we do but it's about who we are it's at the core of who we are what kind of heart do we have but he, he goes on to say something else but there's another change or another difference. That it should also make a difference in our attitudes. Now in verse 15, he kind of makes a shift because he's, he's been talking up to this point about how we treat one another, how we treat others around us, the actions that we take. But now he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body to be thankful and let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Now he's, he's moved from the way we act to to our attitudes in which we do what we do. These... There are two key attitudes that he mentions in these verses. Peace and gratitude or peace and thanksgiving. Those are two attitudes that he mentions. Now, I know it may seem a little backwards, but the truth is our attitudes often determine or at least guide our actions. But, but it all boils down to this one truth. Everything Jesus touches changes. Everything he ch- touches changes. Where there was death, now there's life. Where there was darkness, now there's light. Where there was hopelessness, now there's hope. I mean, everything that Jesus touches, He changes. And that's what Paul is saying in our scripture. He's saying He should change you from the inside with your attitudes to the outside to your actions. Everything about you needs to be transformed by the power of the indwelling presence of Almighty God. That it should be making a difference in us. The glory of the risen Christ dwelling in us and living in us... ...should bring a certain level of peace in us... ...that the lost world will never understand. Let me define the word peace. You think, well, that's easy enough. This, this, this is a word we're familiar with. But just so that we, we're all on the same page... Peace is defined as the freedom from disturbance, tranquility, or a state or period in which there is no war or a war has ended. The peace that Jesus produces in our life brings that freedom of disturbance, that tranquility, even in the midst of life's greatest struggle. Now, he's in the room right now and I don't want to embarrass him. But I think Mike Mills is a poster child of that. I'm just being honest with you. Peace in the midst of a struggle. And so many of you have displayed this in your life when you've had your back against the wall and when the news wasn't always great and it just wasn't always coming together like you thought it should and like it, and maybe you were, you were a little bit in a place of, of struggle. But here's the thing. In the middle of it all, you had peace. Something in your life kept you calm, kept you tranquil, kept you steady, kept you on your feet. What was that? It is the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit of God. That's what gives that peace. That's what brings that tranquility. That's what allows you to stand in the face of the storm. Because you understand that I'm not in this battle alone. I am not in this struggle alone. I am not going through this by myself. I may have loving family. I may have great friends. But most of all, I have a God who indwells me. Who is going to walk me through the deepest, darkest night. Who is going to give me peace and calm in the shadow of the valley of death. He brings an attitude of peace. This peace provided, provided by Jesus is also not just a piece of that tranquility which is part of that definition, but there's this unique part of the definition that says that peace is also a state or a period in which the war has ended. Well, the news that we need to understand is that prior to coming to Jesus, we were at war with God. That narcissistic, sinful, fallen nature inside of us wanted all of the glory for ourselves. We weren't about glorifying God. We weren't about advancing His kingdom. We weren't about letting people know about His glory. We wanted everybody to know about our glory. We were all about us. We were at war with God. But when we come into a relationship with Jesus, something amazing happens. He As He begins to transform our life and He gives us that heart transplant where He takes out that cold, narcissistic, sinful heart and He begins to build within us that heart of compassion, that heart of God. Suddenly, we're no longer at war with God. Now we are at peace. And if there's one thing that peace should produce in us, it is an attitude of thanksgiving or gratitude. Well, you know, it's it's impossible to live in gratitude toward God if you are at war with Him right now. It's hard for you to live in an attitude uh, attitude of gratitude toward God. It's hard for you to live in thanksgiving toward God if you are... If you are at war with Him right now, your desires are at war, the trajectory trajectory of your life is at war, everything about your, your life is at war with God, you can't live in a state of thanksgiving if you're at war with God. But once we have peace with God through Jesus Christ, that attitude of peace begins to to provide us with the the root system that grows into that gratitude. And the peace of Jesus produces naturally an attitude of thanksgiving toward God. That's why we're thankful for what we have. I want to tell you something. If you really want to be thankful for what you have, if you want a heart of gratitude, and start looking around at the suffering in the world and you'll start understanding just how, just how good God is in your life right now. Yeah, there's some, there's some bad things going on. But can I tell you what's absolutely amazing? We got a group that's getting ready to go to, to Africa in, 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 a, in a month or so and, and, and having been there last year. I want to tell you what's absolutely amazing. You can go out into the backside of nowhere. And if you want to know where the backside of nowhere is, go to Africa. No running water. No electricity. No modern conveniences. They don't have cars to drive. They don't even have shoes to wear. Their clothes are ragged and torn. They have to drink from nasty creeks and rivers and... And things of that nature in order just to have water. Everything is done with their bare hands. I mean, there's there's no modern tools in which to work with, to plant with, or to harvest with, or anything else. But you walk into the presence of of some believers in Africa. And there's joy. And there is thanksgiving. And there is gratitude. I want to tell you, you, if, 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 you get a, if you get an opportunity to, to, to just go online and look at some of those videos that have been taken, at different trips in that part of the country, you'll see those believers who are praising God and they're standing. And, and listen, I, I, my friend Felix, he sent me a video the other day of him preaching. His church is outside in a mud pit. People are sitting on the ground and they're praising God gratitude and peace one of the families in our church to help uh, sent money to help a, one of the pastors there who's building a church in his village and they needed a roof on their church because the rainy seasons have come, and they and they were having to stand out in the rain to have worship services. And so, this family in our church very graciously donated money, and they put uh, just put a tin roof over this over the walls. And that's all it is—it's just tin roof over a walls. And he sent me a video this week, taking pictures and saying, "We are so thankful to God. We are so grateful to God. Look, we have a roof over our head." That's gratitude. That's peace. You see, sometimes I think that we forget that that's what God wants from us. No matter what we have or do not have, the it doesn't matter whether the richest or the poorest or whether we have the greatest of things or the, or, or the least of things. It doesn't matter whether we're in the best of health or the poorest of health. When he creates within us that new heart and he gives us his peace, when he gives us his presence, it should, it should do something inside of us where all we can do is say, thank you, Jesus. Praise you, God, for what you have done. Yes, I'm in pain. Yes, I'm in a struggle. Yes, things are not well. But God, you are still good. And you saved me by your grace. That's gratitude. And that's thanksgiving. That's brought on by the peace that God gives to us. It becomes natural. Then he closes with verse seventeen, whatever you do in word or deed, do all now you know what I, I know there's a lot of different translations of scripture in present in our here today, but every one of your translations say the same thing let all. That word is the same in every translation. All. Not what you do at church. Not just what you do in Sunday school. Not just what you do in a small group. Not just what you do when you're around other believers. But let all you do, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks through Him to God the Father. People filled with God's peace. And a grateful attitude will seek to glorify and honor God in all that they do. Their primary desire, because they got that new heart, it will beat glorify God, glorify God, glorify God, glorify God. That's the new heart. So here's the way I want to close this out. In just a moment we'll Stand and sing together. It's our time to decide what we're going to do with the information we've been given, the truth that we've been confronted with, with God's Word. But my, my closing questions, I just have two. One is, do your actions reflect a heart that has been transformed by a relationship with Jesus? Do your actions reflect Reflect a heart that has been transformed, let me, let me back up, been transplanted by a relationship with Jesus. And that second question is simply, is the deepest attitude of your heart peace and thanksgiving today? You see, Jesus is the difference. Jesus is the difference. If you don't know him today, I beg you to open your heart to him today. Here's 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 what he asks of you. To bring your life that right now, I don't care how good things are going in your life. if uh, If you don't know Jesus, right now, your life is chaotic. It's messy. He wants you to bring you that broken, sinful, narcissistic heart. And give it to Him. Surrender your life to Him. Let me tell you what He does. He'll take it and give to you in its place a heart that is transformed. A life that will be transformed. Where these things we talked about in those first few verses, verse 12 through verse 15, those things will begin to be produced in your life through the Holy Spirit. You'll become a new person because the old will begin to pass away and the new will come. It may be that today you've just lost sight of your gratitude. You've lost sight of the truth that you, as a believer, if you're truly a believer in God, you've got peace with God. You've got peace with God. You are no longer at war with the Creator. Through the shed blood of Jesus Christ and His death, burial, and resurrection, you have peace with God if you're a believer. Where's the gratitude for what God has done for us? Let's pray. Father, I thank you. You love us too much to leave us the way that we are. That, Lord, you, this whole season that we're celebrating is about You, Jesus, coming to do something for us that we could not do for ourselves. We could not rid ourselves of this broken, sinful, narcissistic heart. No matter how hard we tried, no matter how deeply we wanted to, there was nothing we could do to deliver ourselves from it. And at war with God, there was nothing we could do to bring that peace between our creator, the one who, who made us who we are and, and ourselves. Lord, there was nothing we could do to bring that peace, but Jesus, you did that for us. That as God incarnate, you came to, to do those things, Lord, to, to create for us that opportunity to know God and have peace with him and to have a new heart. A heart that's no longer narcissistic and sinful and broken. But a new heart that beats for the glory of God. Lord, I pray if there's one in this room who doesn't know you today, that today is that day where they give their life, surrender their life to you. Lord, they'll stop trying to be a good religious, moral person. And that today when they surrender their life to you, they will allow you to make them a godly person. Lord, in these next few moments, restore the gratitude and thanksgiving of the hearts of those who may have become battered by life circumstances and lost sight of what you've done for them. May today be a day when their gratitude is restored. Lord, I thank you for what you're going to do in these next few moments. We give this time to you as our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we sing together. I'm going to ask you to be seated for just one second. Um, I'm going to go ahead and ask our security guys to go ahead and make their way up front because I know that uh, they have something they want to share with you. Uh, Kelton, come on up, bud. All right. I don't think this young man's a stranger to most of us uh, here in, the, in, our, in our congregation today. This is Kelton Hartzell. And uh, Kelton, you're what? uh, Nine? Ten? Twelve? Fifteen? Nine. Okay, nine. He's nine years old. And uh, Kelton has invited Jesus to come to his heart and life. He surrendered his life to him. And so uh, he wanted to make his public profession of faith to you today. And uh, he will be baptized uh, in just a couple of weeks uh, when we have our baptism, I think it's on the 16th. He'll be baptized at that time. So, uh, Kelton, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to have you uh, go sit with, with Pop for right now. And let's see, where did John go? Oh, there he is. On the end. Yeah, I thought you had a black coat on. I was looking for that. Uh, at the end, whenever you guys get done, if you'll just let Colton come stand here. And then is that, do you all feel comfortable with people coming by, shaking his hands? And then if you feel comfortable coming by and... Uh, welcoming him into God's family and shaking his hands. He'll be up here at the front uh, at the end of service. Uh, John will call him back up. So, uh, Colton, God bless you, buddy. I'm proud of you. I'll let you go hang out with Dad for just a minute, okay? All right. Uh, Before our... Let me get a microphone up here. Okay. Uh, Before our security team... uh, shares with us some information that they have. I know Zach has a quick announcement he'd like to make, so I'm going to invite him up at this time.
4: Thank you. Okay. Um, before I go into all this, um, I want to just I was very proud to see our students no, was, up here on. Um, with their Bibles open. It's kind of a proud moment. Um, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says, um, There's an occasion for everything, and everything has its season. Um, with that said, uh, my time here at Locust is coming to an end. Um, God's calling our family to a church in Mount Airy to be their full-time youth pastor over their high school and middle school students there. Um, I'll be forever thankful to First Baptist for being a part of so many of my milestones in my life. Um, my first j- uh, full-time job, my first house, my first marriage, hopefully my only marriage, <laughs> um, um, and the birth of our, our, our son. Um, our last day will be uh, June 4th, which is also graduate Sunday. Um, we decided to, for that Sunday because I wanted to leave well and equip all of our leaders and make sure everything was shored up and set for this transition. Um, it's why, why we chose such a long period. Um, and I want to be here for our seniors who have invested so much into um, and see, their, see them off into the next season of their life. Uh, we have a plan in place, and um, we just need people to make it happen. Um, so as we're going to this time of transition, I, I would like this church to come around these two ministries and um, just support them over these next 60 days to help them thrive without us. Um, you know, this ministry was never built around a person except for the person of Jesus Christ. Our goal is to make him known in all we do, and as we enter into this time of transition, let's not lose sight of Jesus. He's the author and perfecter of our, of our salvation. He's the author and perfecter of any ministry. Um, nothing but Jesus can sustain it, not an event, not a program. No fallen person can, only Jesus. These other things are good, but without Jesus, they mean nothing. I'm excited for the time that um, Jesus has brought us into. I'm excited for this church to be passionate about the gospel and the next generation by investing your time. You know, we can always invest money and throw money at things, but without people's time, nothing ever happens. Without hard work, nothing ever happens. See, the gospel of transformation truly happens when real relationships are built around the real Jesus. That's why we're studying who he really is. So let's strive with excellence to finish this race set before us. As I've told our students so many times um, over the last, this is their third time hearing it. I'm sure they're probably tired of it. Um, Romans 8.18. For the suffering of this present time is not to be revealed to the glory set before us. That there's nothing so bad that makes Jesus not good. So let's come together and end this one season as we start another. Gordon and I, we truly love you guys and thank you for everything. And excited for what God is doing. And if you guys have any questions, that are, those of you guys, are, those who are close to me, please don't hesitate to ask. I want to answer every question I can. I don't have time to do it right now. But I'm truly thankful for this church for giving me the opportunity to be here. I love you guys.
5: The gentleman you see on the podium here is part of the safety team. I wanted to introduce them because uh, some of you do and some don't know who's on the team. Uh, Guys, Jimmy, if you'd start out and just go down the road telling everybody who you are. And, of course, there's some here that uh, couldn't be here today. And there was some out on duty, and I think they've all come in now. But those guys are out there every Sunday protect you and your children and your property. And uh, I would like to personally thank each and every one of them for their hard work that we had to put through to craft this and deploy this procedure. Uh, and I have special thanks to Thomas Barbee. Thomas was the wordsmith that, that put these words together. And uh, most of all, I'd like to thank all of our wives and families that stood behind these guys. Uh, I call them security widows. Um, you see them sitting by their self on Sunday, and uh, they these guys would much rather be there. But uh, they got a calling, and uh, they took the flag, and they stand on that wall. So we're going to talk about the church evacuation procedure in case of fire, uh, the church evacuation procedure was made up of four assembly areas. Each are marked with a diamond shape, as you see in this sign here. They say assembly area whatever. This is a, uh, could I get the next slide, please? This is the one that's for this building, which is out by the statue of Jesus, flagpole, however you want to say it. But Assembly Area A, when you see it as far as it relates to fire. Uh, Next slide, please. For the chapel, it's the playground. It's uh, Assembly Area B. Next one. For the fellowship hall, it's in the corner of the parking lot there. uh, And it's uh, Assembly Area C. And finally... One more. Okay. The final one is D, and it's out by the dumpster. It's for the youth building. So, what I'm saying is every building has an assembly area in case of fire. Uh, Posted throughout all buildings is a set of drawings showing evacuation routes and assembly area locations. And uh, you can see those. There's five of them in this room. Uh, they're here, here, in the back, and right by the soundboard. And if you would, take a few minutes to look at those as you, uh, as you go out. Uh, and I want to thank James Green. He put a lot of work into those and uh, uh, drafting those for us. And it's, it's in very good detail. <clears throat> With the recommendations from the Stanley County Fire Marshal, Locust Police Department, And the church staff here, the safety team, has written procedures in case of a fire. These procedures is based on a building and time of the fire. And they an insert in your bulletin. And if anybody does not have one, raise your hand and these guys will get you one. Here's one over here, guys. Anybody else? Okay, we uh, start off the top. And, and as usual, uh, you know, don't panic or remain calm is, is very, very important in a situation like this. And uh, we, we just reiterated that. Uh, another key item is to allow time for the safety team to determine the location of the alarm. If the alarm goes off, we have a panel over here to my left that we can silence it and give the guys time to look on that panel, see where the detector's going off, and check and see what it is. It might be a false alarm. It may be something that uh, don't need to be evacuated, but let us determine that. Don't don't panic and jump up and start running out of the building. Um, if the fire is during worship service like like today, there'll be an announcement from the pulpit. Um, uh, instruct the whole congregation uh, to not attempt to leave the property but rather move to that assembly area A that we talked about. And the uh, church ministry staff will be on each side so people won't go down these steps. We're going to go out the main entrance and the side cemetery entrance. That's the way we'll be uh, exiting. And I think it will be more orderly if the ones over on this wall would go up that aisle and out to the left. This center, go out to the left. This center, go straight ahead. And this, go out into the center doors. And that way, um, we can get out. And the reason we don't want you going to the right, because there'll be a policeman to block you going that way and going downstairs. The people in the nursery have been instructed, if there's an alarm, take those children and go to Assembly Area A. and So don't go downstairs looking for your children. They're not going to be there. They're going to be at the flagpole. So just proceed out in an orderly manner, and you can go collect uh, your children. Um, there will be an all-clear given, but it will be by the fire department. and And, of course, there will be a discussion between Pastor and the safety team and and the fire uh, equipment people, and if they declare an all clear and there's no no problem, uh, then you'll be released to go. But we want you to stay there so we can get a head count. We count the people who are in here. We count the people in the nursery, and we know how many should be here. And that's uh, we need to get a head count when the firemen come to give them let them know that those children are out of here and the people out so go there to assembly area A and don't leave until you get the all clear if the uh, fire is during the worship service then then uh, all, the, all the things that we've said will be in, in effect but if, if, if it's during connect time and there's a connect group involved uh, there, there's a bell that they use when we dismiss I'm sure you're all familiar with that The bell will be used as a fire alarm because all we have over in those buildings, the Fellowship Hall, Fellowship Building, and the chapel are uh, smoke detectors, residential smoke detectors, I like to call them. So if you're located in the chapel building, proceed to the front exit and move to Assembly Area B, which was the playground, if you recall, by going around the building on the cemetery side. If you're in the basement, proceed out the basement door to Assembly Area B. The uh, all clear will be given by safety team members or a connect group director. Uh, I have added one sentence to this because in a discussion we had after this was printed, uh, if there's a fire during connect group and you're in the sanctuary, in particular uh, room 100, which is the open door class, the fire doors will close automatically, so you'll have to go up the steps to get out and up the steps and out the front. <clears throat> so that I'm going to add that to the official procedure, but it's not on your handout there. So if you're in uh, that can, uh, open door class, make a little note as you go up the steps and out. And of course, the nursery and the other classes down there will go out that exit that's right near the nursery. <clears throat> if you're located in the fellowship building, proceed out the front doors or use side doors if you are in the basement. Continue to assembly area C at the end of the fellowship building parking lot and wait for all clear signal. And if the, if the fire is during a, um, a youth building situation where they're having a, uh, something there, it's pretty simple. There's two exits there and they get out whatever exits the closest and go to assembly area D over next to the dumpster. Um, and at the bottom I've got uh, a, a very important thing is do not re-enter the building if you forgot your purse don't worry about it just leave it and stay out of the building and don't allow anyone else if you're in charge of some children or you're a guardian or a parent or a grandparent don't let them re-enter the building we'll utilize the youth building as an emergency shelter in case of bad weather so, these assembly areas, if there's bad weather and it's pouring down rain or hail or snow, we'll go to the youth building. It'll be the alternate so that uh, we can get out of the weather. And as any, any emergency situation, please use best judgment. And if you're, the designated exit that we've talked about here is blocked, use an alternate route. Uh, if we're saying go out that way, if the soundboard's on fire, we're definitely going out these doors. So, you know, it's just kind of common sense, but in a panic situation, people don't think. So if you think ahead of time, it, it makes it a much more uh, palatable situation. Has anybody got any questions? I know that's quick, but I know everybody's hungry, too. Yeah, yeah, uh, like I said, stay in those similar areas so we can get the count. Uh, don't leave in your car, because then... We lose count. We don't know what it is, and I'm here. I'm having to tell the fire marshal that we had a hundred, and there's only ninety-eight here, and he's going to have to send people, firemen, into this building looking, and that's not a good situation. So please don't leave till we get that count and get uh, get it all clear. Any questions? We're going to hit this again and again. You'll see it in, in written form, uh, but uh, I appreciate you staying over. And listen, this is a very important thing. We've been working on this for quite some time, and these guys worked hard to do that. And uh, yes? Yes, I, yes, I'll get Kelton up here. Kelton, where'd he go? Come on, buddy. Don't forget to come by and shake Kelton's hand. <laughs> Jimmy's going to cheat.